1: So we're going to take John Wayne Winchester's advice because mm-hmm. it's time to talk about some big uglies, and we're not going to talk just about the big uglies. We're going to talk about the tight ends as well, Ryan, because the the inner we've talked a lot about you know quarterback there's talent but right receiver there's talent but you know running back there's talent but a lot of things that need to be proven, and we've talked a lot about the offensive line and tight end this offseason, and it's kind of like it's assumed that these are going to be strong suits of this football team. And there's still a lot of questions and things that have to get answered, but there's a, there's an understandable confidence this unit is going to be pretty good. So mm-hmm. what we're going to do today? We've talked a lot about the different groups. Is we're going to we're going to talk about sort of what the expectations are. What are the expectations for them in the opener? What are the expectations for them as the season goes on? What are going to be the keys um, to to him to this unit? sort of taking that next step and saying, and proving that what we have talked about is where they need to be. And so that's going to be the focus of today's show as we talk about the offensive line and the tight ends. And let's just kind of go tight end first, Ryan, Mm -hmm. because I think obviously Michael Mayer, we've spent a lot of time talking about Michael Mayer. We don't really need to spend a lot of time on him other than the simple fact of obviously with this football team, the expectation is is that Michael Mayer is what you think he should be. He's one of the best tight ends in college football. That's yep. what he needs to be. And, and improve improving some of the areas that he didn't improve on. And there's two things for me right now that when I evaluate Michael Mayer's film this year that I'm going to be looking for. One, is he more consistent catching the football? And it was never a lack of good hands. It was more of a, he starts, it was when he would drop balls, it's when he was wide open. I mean, go back to the Clemson game as a freshman, you look at the Florida State game last year, he's wide open. It's just you got to make sure you secure the catch first. It's, you know, you know, football one-on-one. Some you teach at pop Warner level, right? Like make sure you secure the catch first before you go, he's got to clean that stuff up. And then he's got to continue improving as a blocker. Those are the two areas that I'm going to be looking for to say, okay, he's really put in the work to take his game to another level.
2: Run blocking is the biggest thing for me. Like I I think that he has the tools where he could be this from an NFL draft perspective for a second, but he could be the best blocker in the 2023 class. And one of the best blockers, in all of college football. I think that's very possible for Michael Mayer because, I mean, he's 265 pounds, incredibly strong, has the physicality, has decent length to him. Like everything is there for him to be a dominant player in the run game. I think he's been good in spurts, very good in spurts. I think there's been moments where you're like, yup, he can do that at a very high level, but I don't think it's been overly consistent in the past. It can be though, which I'm excited about because, I mean, everything that we're falling in love with with Michael Mayer is – the tenacity he plays with after the catch the ability he has to get up and, and pluck the football his ability as a route runner for a bigger guy all the tools in the passing game are just silly and if he's able to have a, just more consistent hands as far as just more concentration throughout the catch point and do all that type of stuff then he's a dominant dominant receiver and we've seen that already at a, a large portion of his career the biggest thing though is are you a two-way threat as a tight end as a blocker as well because i think he can he can easily separate himself. Cause there's going to be people that are like best tight end in college football. Is it Brock Michael Mayer? Is it Brock ba- Bowers? And it's like, cool, depending on what you want, you can make a case for both. But if Michael Mayer is what he was as a pass receiver just last year, and maybe a little bit better, plus also being a more consistent player in the run game, then it's not even a conversation in my point, because Brock mm-hmm. Bowers isn't blocking anybody. Michael Mayer can be the best two-way tight end in the, in college football because he has the tools to be a,
1: After that, it's, okay, who steps up next? I think that's really where the big question mark is here, is he can't just be the only guy because of the lack of depth at receiver and to a degree running back, although we expect that to kind of be better uh, kind of moving forward. So, you know, I, I think that for me, Ryan, when we when we talk about that group of what's next, it's, okay, who steps up? Is it Kevin Bauman as a blocker? Is it the freshman guys uh, stepping up as pass catchers? Holden Stace, I've heard, has had a great camp. you Rare like, where do we know as a guy? Just came for wrong. Finally, get cleared to see that guy. I think that's really the big question mark. Is so when you talk about expectations for the tight end group, there's a lot of assumptions that well they're going to be fine at tight end because they have a lot of talented guys. That's fine, but the reality is is there's still a lot of un. If you think they're unproven at receiver and running back, there is no more unproven group on the roster than the tight ends behind Michael Mayer. Yeah, I mean you know that's that's I think what is there two career catches? I think Kevin Bauman has two career catches. That's it. So you have the injury to Mitchell Evans, plus the transfer of George Takis has left this depth chart in a really rough spot from an experience standpoint, but there's talent. And that's yes. going to be the thing that, that I wonder is, can that group be ready to step up and provide a presence? And I think the first thing that they need to establish is who of that group can come in day one on September 3rd and go block somebody. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to have to be prior priority. I mean, we've, we'll we we'll talk about in the past and we'll talk about in the future the need for that second tight end. It's got to get some targets. And And there's sure. a lot of cool things you could do in the past game with Holden Stace and Eli Raritan and Camp wrong. At the end of the day, for this team to really have the run game it's capable of, there's going to need to be a 12-personnel package that just goes out and says, we're going to run it down your throat and there's nothing you can do about it. And if the tight ends aren't blocking at a high level, then it's a little harder to do that. And so it's going to be important for somebody in that group, at least one somebody in that group, to really step up and emerge as a legitimate edge blocker for this offense.
2: Yeah, I mean, the role is really important. I honestly hope throughout, like, the entirety of the season that you get a few guys that are able to kind of step up and have different roles potentially, right? I mean, like, I I think in an ideal world, whether it is – Kevin Bauman or it is a Kane Barong, whoever ends up being the second tight end as far as from the blocking perspective, I would like also there be times where like, Hey, let's put the second tight end in. That's now an actually a Holden stays or an Eli Raritan that can maybe do more stuff in the passing game, or if it's Kane Barong. And I like if Notre Dame's able to departmentalize their skills as the second tight end, I think that that long-term is a really interesting thing to see because I mean, it's something where, I think there's a couple of players on the team that can do a little bit of everything from that position but it's really exciting because they're just such different players. I mean you have Kane Barong who's what like 6'3" 240 something pounds mm-hmm. kind of like a physically physically put together but a little bit of a shorter guy compared to everybody else. Kevin Bauman's the more traditional like 6'5", 245, 250 type of guy. Eli Raritan's the skyscraper. Holden Stace has kind of that physical profile of a little bit of a taller version of a Kane Morong like kind of physically put together. So there's different body types. There's different styles. And I think if Notre Dame's able to get a a little out of everybody from it, well, not everybody, but at least a couple of them for different roles, I think that that could be really advantageous for them because the good thing about Michael Mayer is, we already talked about it, he can do a little bit of everything, right? Like he has the potential to be a dominant blocker. He has the, He already has been a dominant receiver on the level, and I think that's where you can mix and match different skill sets behind him because it's not like he's a one-trick pony of a pass catcher or a one-trick pony of a blocker. He can do everything, so you can really departmentalize what the guy behind him looks like at times.
1: For September 3rd, agree with you wholeheartedly. My only, and I don't even think it's a pushback because I think you're going to agree with this. Having guys doing different roles is is something that we've talked about. I like it, it, but here's the thing. They can't be all one-trick ponies, and that's the concern. Against Ohio State, it doesn't matter because there's no tendencies with those right. guys. You don't know what they're going to do with those guys in the game beyond just what your normal 12 personal tendencies are. Sure. As the season goes on, like if Kevin Bauman's your blocker, and again he's got to improve a lot to be that guy because he was not a good blocker last year for Notre Dame in the limited snaps he got. Now I think part of that was the injuries; like he was kind of coming back from injuries. I think he's going to end up being better there. So that's why I think uh, I think that that's how I feel about Kevin Bauman. I I, I kind of maybe it's wrong, but I kind of chalk, I I kind of dismiss the fact that he was not a good blocker last year as. He was banged up a lot, coming off some things. I think he's going to be better. But we'll see. He's got to go prove it. Sure. But if we get into the season and that's all he's doing, eventually you get into that 12 personnel and we've discussed this, okay, that guy's not a threat to, to to run the football. If you're throwing Holden Stace out there, and I'm just going from one extreme to another right now, you throw Holden Stace out there and all he is is a slot pass catcher. When he's in the game, you kind of know, okay, here's what they're doing. And so that's going to be the key, You know, more so for BYU, Clemson, and USC – for Ohio State, it's just at least one guy's got to step up and be a blocker. If they can do some other things, that one trick pony that could be a problem once tendencies are established can actually benefit you in the opener because the Ohio State doesn't know what that tendency is yet. You know, so maybe you go 12 personnel and I mean Eli Rayard 6'6, 245. He doesn't look like a skinny, you know, only throw it to him guy. You go 12 personnel, line him up in an attached position, and maybe do something where all of a sudden he's running, you know, streaking down the field or something like that. I mean you know, so those things could work early, but eventually that nobody has, they don't all have to be complete players, but they have to at least be competent at the other thing. That's not their strength. And that's going to be the thing that's going to be interesting as the season goes
2: on. Right. Sure. No, I agree with you. I I think that if a player, so like, I would say for me, it's, it's like, if you are a pure one trick pony, then it's very, it's much more easy to predict what the outcome Mm -hmm. is of a play. Right. Like if, if a, Let's say a Michael Mayer and Eli Raritan combination on the field. And you and from the snaps you've seen up until that point, Eli Raridan's been a big play threat as a receiver, but hasn't been asked to do much as a blocker. And this is just a hypothetical one here. Then it's easier to predict like, hey, he's in the game. It's probably some sort of movement based pass play where like you're gonna try to get him working in space, seam running, whatever go, it ends You may even up go being. nickel
1: as a defense. You may say, Hey, look, yep. let's put a you third might. safety on the field, right? Yep, you because might, of that tendency. Might.
2: yeah and that makes it a lot easier for a defensive coordinator to game plan against that if a a player is just a strict one trick pony I am coming from the perspective of you at least need to be solid in the other aspects it's Mm -hmm. like when we talked about the quarterback position right it's like oh man that guy's great outside of structure well but if he's not good inside structure then it doesn't really matter right like there's kind of a baseline that you need to be at so that's where I'm hoping every the tight ends are equally solid in every aspect but maybe one guy excels in one very role one guy excels at this particular thing and that's where kind of i think the the departmentalized nature can happen when your guys are capable of playing like i'm not going to throw a guy out there that can't block a lick i'm not going to throw a guy out there that has no ability in the passing game you have to be serviceable at least as a baseline but as you are serviceable and you have a couple players that are serviceable players to have those snaps then it's Capitalizing on what their skill sets are for me.
1: Because here's what you do. If I'm a defensive coordinator and you're going a lot of 12 personnel and you put, let's just use Kevin Bauman as an example just to prove a point. Sure. You put Kevin Bauman in the game and I know he's not running a pass route. And if he is, he's just a decoy. What I'm doing is I'm bas- basically calling, I'm teaching my safeties that you are going to key on that eight, on 84. You're going to come down in the box. I'm, I'm immediately going eight in the box easily. I may go not, I may just do double quarters and the safety to his side is going to read him a certain way. But basically I'm, I'm running, I'm fitting that downhill. I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about defending him. I'm going to say, I dare you to throw to him because you've shown you don't want to do that. Sure. And and so it, it, it makes it a little bit tougher to run the ball. And, and I know that like in 2012, they were able to get away with that. You know, Troy Nicholas, well, I think caught like five balls all year, but like Troy Nicholas would run some routes and showed a a, a little bit of a, a proclivity, but also you can't win like that nowadays. Well, I mean, look, I'm sorry. You you can I mean, it's been a decade and the game has changed. You can't win. You're not going to go beat a ranked team 13 to six. Now you're just, you're just not, I mean, not, not a good one. Right. And and so when you look at that 2012 season, that's just kind of, you just can't repeat that. Right. Like we're all looking for that, you know, repeat that secret sauce, but you know Notre Dame in three of their first four games scored 20, 20 and 13 points. If they score 20, 20, and 13 points in three of their first four games this year, there's a good chance they're 2-2. Two and two. I mean, that's just because, you know, Ohio State and North Carolina can both beat you if you're only scoring 20 points a game. Well, Ohio State will beat you. North Carolina yes. could beat you as well if you're only scoring 20 points a game. And, and so, you know, here's what they did in other games. 20 points in a 2013 win over against Stanford. You're not beating the number 17 in the country with 20 points this year. You know, 17 points in a win over BYU. You're not beating BYU this year with 17 points. I just don't see it happening. You know, 29, 20 and 20, that 29 against Pitt was in, with a couple overtimes sure. to get to that 29, 21 against BC, 22 against USC. You're not beating USC this year with 22 points. I don't, I don't see it happening. So the, the point is the game's changed. You can't get away with that. They, we know you're running and, and because they were, it was grinding the clock out. We're going to run the clock out. You know, our quarterbacks going to get in space to do a little bit of things. We're just not, we're just because you can't score on us. The game has changed. And so you can't, you can't get away with that. In my opinion, at this point in time.
2: So we had so, uh, real, real yeah. quick, Brian. We had Jonathan Gabriel say, "So Notre Dame beats Ohio State thirteen to six. Game one confirms. He's obviously I'll take just it. having a little bit of fun. I'll take it. I, all I'll, I'll say take is it. You, you better sign Al Gold to a lifetime contract if he holds that. Oh, there's no question. Six points. <laughs> like that's you know,
1: I, I'm a big fan of you got to show me. But if you hold Ohio State to six points, if you don't hold Ohio State to thirteen points, and you beat them fourteen to thirteen. I know it may be jumping the gun, but it's pay raise time for Al Golden. It's only been 100%. one game. I don't care. He earned a pay raise on that one game alone. Yep. You know, because you got all these people. That say, this is one of the best offenses ever. It's the best, it's the best in the country, blah, 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 blah. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be really, really good. There's no doubt about it. So, yes, if you hold them to 13, six points, yeah, Marcus Freeman deserves an immediate raise. Al Golden deserves an immediate raise. I mean, the whole defensive staff deserves an, a, a, a pay raise immediately. And you just take away from the offensive coaches and give it to them because if they only score thirteen points against Ohio State, that's, then they don't deserve their, their, the money that they would be getting for that week. So that's very true. Uh, except for Harry said I'm not taking money from him because I'm not messing with Harry stands So I'm taking it from everybody else. So Ryan, that's tight ends. You know, th- it's a group that needs to be strong. And, and look, there's things that you know, I think they can do to help out with the pass game too. And I and I would say that if you're gonna have a guy that's a one-trick pony, I'd be more prone to allowing him to be sort of a slot pass game guy. Because if if like Holden Stace is only going to play the slot, then I think you can have it. Let's say he's not ready right now. And I don't know if this is true. I'm just we've seen one full practice and it was with no pads on. I'm just making a point, you know, freshman, 225 pounds. Mm -hmm. Let's say Holden Stace is a really good weapon in the pass game already. You're like, boy, this kid can help us in the pass game. Then I think there are some things Notre Dame has and can do with their personnel to have him sort of be a slot or an outside guy where he doesn't, you know, look, he can't attach blocked or he can't block attached. That's just not what he's going to do. We're we're not going to put him in that situation. So maybe you put him in a wing and you kind of move him around and and do some slide stuff and some, you know, maybe he can get in the guy's way on the backside of an inside zone, you know, away, or, or maybe duo away or something like that, you know, outside zone away, whatever the case may be. But if you're going, you can still run the ball though, because you can do some of your outside stuff. You can do your read zone stuff, where you leave that edge player unblocked, and then you get Tyler Buckner out there, and you've got basically Holden Stays sort of serving as a lead blocker on a nickel or a corner or a rover out there. Well, that's more of a better matchup for him in the run game. So if there is going to be sort of a one trick pony, I do, you know, or a guy that maybe is way better in one area than the other, I do think you can get that in the pass game more than you can get it in the run game. It just means that you know some of your run, you, and, and what I would say is you just treat it like eleven personnel at that point in time, sure. And your play calling is similar to what you would get out of eleven personnel. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I would look at it because you're you're, you're going to have Michael Mayer, you're going to go double double slots essentially, which they've done in the, with twelve person on the past. They did it last year with George Tackus and Michael Mayer, where they both line up in the slot or both line up outside, and and have your your two receivers. So I mean, there's a, there's personnel groupings where you could have. Holding Stace out as basically your X and have either Brayden Lindsay or Lorenzo Styles as your slot, and have Michael Mayer's base your W, and then your other receiver, whether it's one of those two guys or, or Xavier Watts or whoever, sort of a slot there, you're in your 11 personnel, you know, actually you're in your 10 personnel alignment out of 12 personnel. Yeah. And you can do, you can now run the ball because now what you can do is, is you can do some real interesting stuff with your RPO game. You know, so, like, how are you going to defend this? Are you going to treat this as as, as you would in ten personnel and vacate the box? That's cool because we've got some inside zone stuff we can do with the read concepts because you have a mobile quarterback now. You can run some RPOs where it's the reverse. Most RPOs are run pass option, but there are some that are sort of pass run options where, you know, you're like we've talked about before. You run like quick little fades on the outside, then you run just outs or slants with the inside guy. If they vacate the box, the quarterback sees it, he drops, that guy buzzes, bam, he turns it into a draw play. Mm-hmm. There's all types of things like that that you can kind of go to where you can run out of that kind of 10 personnel look. And it's not 10 personnel, it's it's 12 personnel, but it's just there's nobody attached. You're in doubles on both sides of the of the, of the the line. Scrimmage. You can go three by one, but then if they want to stay tight because they're afraid of Buckner and let's say, you know who I'd have at running back in that scenario? You're going to have one of two guys. It's either Estime or Tyree. If I think the team is gonna is if I think the team is going to sort of you know kind of condense, I'm putting Estime in there. If I if I if I think they're gonna spread out, I'm putting Tyree in there, and I'm just letting him crease one of those. But if they're gonna try to, you know, play that double area, I'm putting Estime in there, and I'm just gonna hammer them. And then when they start to creep in, now you're pulling and you're throwing that bubble screen to Braden Lindsay or Lorenzo Styles or Xavier Watts or whoever, and you've now got Holden Stace. A two hundred twenty five pound kid blocking on a corner, mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot of things they can do. It just depends on how interesting they want to get with it. But I sure. do think the pass game is where the previous statement about you can't have a one trick pony, it, it somewhat gets negated a little bit in the pass game because of the unique ability of Kane Barong, Eli Raritan, and Holden Stace, right? Because the speed that all in athleticism they all three, three bring to the table. I do think there are some interesting things that you can do with those guys that could make it um like okay all right this is put Eli Red into the boundary at 66245 and have Michael Mayer be to the field. I mean there's all I mean, types of different stuff you could do.
2: There there's tech I mean there's some things, Brian I'm thinking more near the red zone where there might be a time where I have a, a three tight ends in but I'm still an eleven personnel, you know, because it's like you you throw a guy like a like a Eli Raritan into the boundary, and you put Michael Mayer out as the slot, and then you just have somebody in in line as the blocking tight end, or or just the inline tight end in general. I mean, there is so much that you can do, and that's the beauty of being Notre Dame with how they recruit tight ends and produce tight ends traditionally. Is the fact that you have guys with multiple skill sets. I mean, in spurts, and I know we saw it like when they had Tyler Reifer, like they would just put him out wide and just be like, yeah. I mean, in that situation. He's not technically a tight end, but like, does it matter? It doesn't matter at that point because he could literally do those types of things. Right. So yeah, I agree. There's a lot of things that you can do with these types of receivers and I'm excited to see it because I think that there is a lot of departmentalized options that you could have behind Michael Mayer. I don't know if it's going to be one guy taking the majority of the second, the second reps of tight ends. I hope again, to, to my original point, I hope it's a couple different guys. Cause I think there's a lot, a lot of things that you can do with this tight end room. Like I would be not disappointed, but I, I would be, well, I, I could say disappointed. I would be disappointed if, if, if for a part of the season. If Eli Raritan is not a red zone weapon, like I would be very disappointed if he did not at least have that type of role in this offense. So there's a lot of possibilities and I look forward to seeing how the, the tight ends behind Michael Mayer develop.
1: I will I will end the tight end conversation with this Ryan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will be shocked if Eli Raritan and Holden Stace don't play this year. Same. Uh, and and I don't mean play four games and then redshirt. I mean play. Mm-hmm. And and I think that if there are some deficiencies in the blocking stuff, it, it, as the number two blocker, it, it, it hurts but you can do enough in the 11 personnel and 10 personnel looks with 12 personnel on the field that you can still give your receivers some time off. You can still do some different things. You can still get some advantages on the perimeter run game. And then when you get in a short yardage goal line, right? All you got to simply do is just put Tosh Baker out there, put Michael Carmody out there, put, you know, put Andrew Christoffick out there, put somebody out there. That's a, I mean, they did that last year when they didn't have really a number two blocker. I think that's something also that you can do as well.
2: Yep. It's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be fun. I I I mean, I mean, I naturally love the tight end position in general, but like I'm really again, just so many different body types and so many different styles. I think that this is going to be a situation where I mean, there again, there might be times where Michael Mayer is playing more of a wide receiver role, but mm-hmm. you still have a couple other tight ends that I think right. really do a lot of different things in the passing game. So yeah, right. I'm excited to see just how how the tight end position is developed. Because the other question for me is Long-term also, who's the next guy after Michael Mayer? You know, like, who's the guy? Because That's a good point. You need to see who emerges. I mean, we don't know. I mean, could it be, you know, could it be a Kane Barang as the next guy? Sure. Could it be Eli Raritan? Sure. Could it be Holden Stays? Could it be Bauman taking a big step forward? Like, who knows? It's a lot of possibilities as the next in line at tight end U.
1: Because they're going to be jockeying for that position this offseason. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they're definitely going to be a lot of jockeying for that this season. So I'm curious to see how that's going to go. So, Ryan, let's move on to the offensive line. I think this is the group that, even though there's a lot of question marks technically on what's got to be proven, this is the group that I think people have the most confidence in, understandably so.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Primary reason being they're very talented at tackle. Mm -hmm. And I think they have the best offensive line coach in football coming back. Okay. And we've heard a lot from the defensive linemen about how, you know, we got to bring it every day because these guys are bringing it every day. and And so at the end of the day, this group has to be what we think it's going to be. And I think there's two levels of expectations for me when I talk about the offensive line. It's what they need to be in the opener and what they need to become by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And that may be the same thing. It just depends on how quickly they get going. But the reality is, is that if Notre Dame is going to have a shot to win in the opener, they have got to come out and establish the line of scrimmage and not just do a good job. And, you know, at the end of the day, I graded them out higher than the Ohio State defensive line. They they, they won that battle a little bit. can't mm-hmm. be that. Right. It, they have to come out and decisively win that battle. Give the quarterback time, open up holes, control the clock. Because you know what? Here, here, I'm going to give you all some really wicked, deep, thorough football analysis. Ohio, can't, Ohio State can't score when their offense is on the sideline if you're doing your job, right? right. That's the reality of it, right? And that's that caveat if they're doing their sure. job. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing is like limit the possessions. And I'm not saying you're playing keep away, but I'm saying you're building around what you do best. And that is, we're going to run it down your throat. And if we can create big plays, we'll create big plays because that's another thing that that, that this team can do. But we're not we're not going to try to, to to match you athlete for athlete, score for score, tempo for tempo. We're going to make your offense sit and get a little bit cold because we just put a twelve play drive together you know, a couple times in the game and give our defense time to adjust. And you know, it's like I think of when I think of this, I I think of I'm a Broncos fan. And I think of that NFL films deal where they were talking about the last Super Bowl John Elway played in Super Bowl thirty three. Have you ever seen those NFL films things where it's like Mike Shanahan and and it was like a ten to six game? It's Mike Shanahan and Garrett Kubiak spending the whole time while the defense is on the field, and the Falcons went down and and um, were driving down the field. Chris Chandler was leading them down the field, and they're having all these things and they're looking at the film. And they're like, "Hey, we think we can do this," and they're, they they spend this whole time for one play. And then they sit down with John Elway, and they're explaining. I'm thinking, how long is that freaking drive by the Falcons? You know what I mean? But they ended up missing a field goal, and then they in- they instituted that play. And essentially, Eugene Robinson, who had intercepted John Elway the previous year in the Super Bowl for the Packers, was getting real aggressive coming down because, you know, you got to stop Terrell Davis. So they ran a bootleg to the right, but instead of kind of throwing out that way, they got Eugene Robinson to come down, and they ran a corner post with Rod Smith, and Elway launched over top in session. Like, they spent the whole time in between doing that, and I kind of got this vision of, like, Notre Dame going on a 10-play drive that takes, like, five minutes off the clock, five, six minutes off the clock, and, and Al Golden is sitting there all this time with the defensive staff saying, okay, what can we do to design a pressure to get to C.J. Stroud and, you know, maybe give us a stop, right? So mm-hmm. there's something to that. And so, but that can't happen, Ryan, if this group isn't dominant. And that's a, yeah. that's asking a lot of a line that was just simply not good last year that's got yeah. some guys moving around. There's some other question marks and, and things that you know we got to see what happens here over the next couple weeks uh, from who who's your personnel that you're gonna have out there. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't care who you throw out there. You got eight guys that have started games at Notre Dame before. You got to be able to go out there against Ohio State a, t- a defense that was not good last year and say, sorry. You guys are really good. You're gonna get better. Have faith in Jim Knowles, but it ain't today,
2: right, Brian? You're, you have such a positive outlook, man. Because you said <laughs> you said it, it. It was not good last year. I would say it was bad for the most of the well, year. For being honest, it was pretty <laughs> like, terrible. It was pretty bad last year, offensive line wise. Which is, I mean, what a compliment to Coach Easton that he walks into the room that was not good last year, and people just are assuming that it's it's not gonna be an issue at all. You know, like it. And and I mean he deserves that credit right at this point. Like for what he's done at Notre Dame and just the course of his career developing offensive linemen, he deserves all the leeway to assume that unit's going to be a lot better. And I think it will be because there is and there never was an absence of talent in, under Coach Quinn. Like they have a lot of talent. You have two offensive tackles this year, although are only sophomores that are studs. Man, like they have the potential to being very good football players. You have a guy like Jared Patterson, who is going to be a four-year starter, and a guy that could be a potential first to second round pick. Like he has that type of upside in him. You got a guy like Josh Lugg that's played a lot of football. There's guys here that have played and have played very well in spurts. And now the fact that you have Coach Eastand, I think it's just the everyone just assumes this team's going to play with more tenacity. They're going to play more physically, and the talent's going to take over. So It's one of those things where I think people have the least amount of worry about this offensive line, despite the fact that it wasn't very good last year, which is pretty funny to think about. But again, I think Coach Eastern deserves that credit. as
1: And we've seen it before, right? I mean, we saw it from 2011 to 2012. Notre Dame had a 29-yard jump from 2011 to 2012. And it was even more than that when you talk about before the the postseason game against Alabama, where they were just outmatched. I think they rushed for – I'm gonna look it up here real quick. It was yeah, 32 yards. You know, but you look at that season, and early on, you know, they rushed for 390, uh, 293 against Navy. You know, weren't so great the next three weeks, and then 376 against Miami, 150 against Stanford, and at that time, 150 against Stanford was a lot. 270 against BYU, 215 against Oklahoma, 231 against uh, uh, Pitt, 184 against BC, 221 against Wake, 222 against USC. And that was with a football team that had lost Michael Floyd from the year before. It was a football team that had lost uh, their starting right guard Trevor Robinson. They had lost their starting right tackle on Taylor Dever. Uh, Braxton Cave had suffered an injury the season before. He was he was playing, but he wasn't one hundred percent. You know, you had Mike Golick in the junior in your starting lineup. You had Christian Lombard in the starting lineup. As I mentioned before, you didn't have you didn't have Mike. You didn't lost Michael Floyd. And yet you still went out and jumped 29 yards. You had more yards per play that next year without Michael Floyd in your offense, without Jonas Gray, who was really good for them in 2011. I mean, you know, J- Jonas Gray in 2011 was a really dynamic player. Yeah. And you go out that next year and you see that big jump at running back. You know, George Atkinson has a nice big jump. Sear Wood has goes from 5.1 yards per carry to 6.5 yards per carry in 2012 against a pretty tough schedule from a defensive standpoint. They played some really good defenses in 2012. So we've seen it before. And he's got, with all due respect to Chris, to Zach Martin and Chris Watt, who are excellent players, he's got way more God given ability top to bottom with this group than he even did with that group. And and so I think that's where you have the reasons for optimism. I think you also have an offense that can be more creative than maybe what you had then. You've got deeper – you've got more speed than you had then. You've got more overall skill than you had then. And obviously Michael Mayer is not Tyler Eifert. They're Mm -hmm. different players, but he's really good. And so I think that's the reason that there isn't a lot of optimism. And, And the one thing you had in 2012 as well was a mobile quarterback that could make you right you didn't always have to necessarily blow a team up off the line when you had a quarterback like that we saw that in 2017 so I think those are things that factor in into it as well I mean the, the years that Notre Dame's had really good offenses I mean if we're being honest the, the years where they had I mean I think their most explosive offenses are years they had mobile quarterbacks and one of those years they had a guy that couldn't throw and in Brandon Wimbush I mean he just really struggled throwing the ball that year yeah and you know, you look at what they were in 2015 with Malik and Deshaun, you look at what they were in 2012 with Ev, you look at what they were in 2017 with Brandon Wimbush, because you don't always have to be perfect up front. And I think that's the key. But they've got to be physical. They've got to establish that in game one. And I think that's the expectation for me is they're not they're gonna make mistakes. They're gonna miss blocks, they're gonna, they're not gonna be perfect in the first game. But what you can demand and what you can expect and say, if this doesn't get met, it's a disappointment in game one is they need to fight. They need to battle. They need to play hard and and really take it to Ohio State physically. If they do that, then I think they are going to have a shot to be in that game and, and maybe win it at the end. It's It's really going to come down to, in that particular game, big picture with other games, it's different players. But in that game, more than any other, the offensive line cannot – they can't afford to have a – well, we need time to get going mentality, and right. from what I'm told, they're not being given that. Don't worry, we'll, we'll give you time. It's no, we've got a big game on September 3rd. You got to get ready. Let's get after it. So that's that's what we need to see. I mean, they can't win the opener if the offensive line doesn't doesn't do that right. But again, they don't have to be perfect, but they yeah. have to battle. Have to battle.
2: Like a wise coach once said, Brian, you can. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Make them fast ones. That's what I. That's what I take from. And but when I say a wise, when I say a wise coach, that was actually me that once said that. But that is something that I think that Notre Dame has to be instilled with. Because to your points, I mean, it's fun to think about if Zach Martin was dropped on this team right now. And Zach Martin is a future Hall of Famer, first former first round pick, sixteenth overall pick by the Dallas Cowboys, been several times an All Pro. He is a fantastic football player. But if he was on this team right now from a physical talent perspective, from just a god-given perspective, I and mean, what would he be third on this offensive line? P- probably somewhere in that ballpark like I mean it, it I think it speaks volumes to the amount of talent that is on this roster. If there's one thing that we give Jeff Quinn credit for, he could he brought some talent to this roster. there's it's still a talented roster from an offensive line perspective. So adding that that god-given talent with the mentality that coach Hestan, brings to the game i think that that's why you have such a belief a deep belief that this o- this offense line is going to be very good at, at, at its peak during this season because although it was not great last season i mean you can't you can't supplement the fact that you have a 6 2- 330 pound offensive tackle right tackle that looks like he could be a future first round pick you can't supplement the fact that you have a guy like a joe wall who's a former high school tight end that is 6 7 plus 317 pounds like you can't supplement that An stuff. athletic you can't teach that right. Exactly. So all that to say is that I do also have the deep belief and I'm buying into it because Coach stand has he has earned every benefit of the doubt for making this transition. And I am I'm just I am excited. This this is the position that I'm most excited about this year, to be honest, because I think it's going to be the biggest jump from last year to this year is how much better the offensive yeah. line is going to be. And that is because of Coach Hestand. That's He's the biggest reason, if we're being honest. And the talent, of course. Right. Now,
1: much of the focus is on the O line's got to get better because you've got to run the ball. But the reality is, is the O line getting better takes pressure off every aspect of your offense, and, and that's what often gets missed in this. Is if your offensive line is physical running the ball, and it can't then obviously it's going to put you in more iso's outside. It's going to allow you to get more one on ones where the speed can can go make plays. Mm-hmm. But it's it goes beyond that. I mean, it also can you have see one of the concerns at times when Coach Eastham's here. If you're gonna say what was the criticism, if you you have to, no one's perfect. Sure. So what would be the criticism that I would have ever had of Coach Eastand? It would be they weren't always dominant at both things. Mm-hmm. In 2017, at times they weren't great in pass protection. They weren't. Uh, at times in 2015, they weren't great at running uh, the ball the way they needed to, but they were pretty good at pa- in pass pro that year. Mm-hmm. 2012, pretty good at running, but just overall just couldn't handle the more athletic teams in the pass game. Right, and Everett had to rescue them a lot that year. You know, 2013, elite pass pro team, not really good, great at running the ball. And there's a lot of different reasons why it was for me. It was a play calling thing more in 2013 and, and than it was not being good at it. This group is going to have to be good at both, Ryan, and that's going to mm-hmm. be a big key for me. Is they've got to be good at both. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so in and the and the reason I'm optimistic is because in some of those years where we're talking about they weren't great at both, part of it was personnel driven. Sure. You know, like or in play calling driven, you know, th- 2013 was a very finesse offense. It was designed to not be great at running the ball. And in 2017 was built as a power offense. You weren't going to necessarily be practicing 75, you know, pass play, you know, be prepared to, the, you know, 75 pass plays type of thing because you weren't just weren't going to do that. So there's reasons why, but striking that balance, I, I think adds to the, the challenge for, Easton standing this line, you know, can yeah. you establish the physicality, but then also be good in pass pro because it's really, it can especially at tackle, guard it's kind of guard is always physical if you're doing it right to me even in pass pro guard is always physical even when you're handling twists and stunts it's always stepping and meeting with force. Tackle, especially to me, it can be really – this is what makes tackle hard. It's because on one play, i got to be willing to come off the ball and punch you right in the mouth. And on the next play, I'm receding. Yes. You know, I'm giving ground. Patience. And if your mindset is to – and this is what hurt Mike McGlinchey in 2017 is sometimes Mike would kind of be out over his toes because he's so aggressive. Then he's got to get out of a stance, and he can do it against Temple and teams like that. But when you're trying to do that against Lorenzo Carter, it's a little harder to do you know mm-hmm. and, and and actually went on the edge or to get out to a wide rusher against some of the better teams or or the ends that Miami had that year mm-hmm. and and so can you can you strike that balance that's what i want to see because they're going to need to look somebody said in the chat you're going to beat ohio state by running the football no you're not you're not going to beat ohio state by running the ball you're going to you're going to beat ohio state by being balanced now yeah. you may run for a bunch of yards but if you're only running and you can't throw you're not going to beat ohio state you got to do both you got to establish the run and then build around that but you got to do both and and if you're getting in situations where you can run ohio state will be able to schematically stop you from running the ball if you can't throw we mm-hmm. saw that against georgia in 2017 we saw that against miami in 2017 we saw that with lsu in 2017 which is why the offense stalled much of the game and when did the offense finally wake up in the fourth quarter when they finally start throwing the football a little bit right so I think that's the reality is you got to be balanced you have to be balanced which means you have to protect the quarterback when you're in passing downs but also when you're in first down and you've got to throw the ball in first down so that's going to be the other part of the challenge is can this group be good at both out of the gate because you don't have a couple warm-up games this year you've got house it out of the gate and that's that's another part that adds a little bit to this this opening game matchup and, and puts even more expectation and I'd say pressure on the Notre Dame offensive line.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: This is the story
0: of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: Well, I, I think that they have the physical makeup to be good, good at both, because, I mean, you, you wrote an article about just how. Big. This line is right. So, just immediately from the run game perspective, I'm like, who's the lightest guy on the on the offense? 308, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the biggest guy on the uh, smallest guy on the offensive line. So, every one of your starting offensive linemen rate from 308 to Blake Fisher was most recently what? 326, 327, 327. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So it's
1: it's it's 316, 310, mm -hmm. 308, 317, 327.
2: So it's a massive line, and as long as that line is playing with tenacity. I think the run game should obviously be a big improvement. The pass game stuff, Ryan, I mean, you mentioned like 2012 at times would struggle in pass pro against like the longer, more explosive, you know, defensive line that they're playing. That's because you had a bunch of guard tights that were playing tackle. I right. mean, Zach Martin was the left tackle, and he's obviously made the transition to tackle. You have, I mean, to guard in the NFL. Christian you Lombard have. is
1: also always better when he got to play guard as well. They moved him back to tackle in 2014 because the other guy they tried to move to tackle wasn't getting the job done.
2: 100%. to your point right. yeah but but with this with this group you have a 6'6 Blake Fisher that is a tackle like he can mm-hmm. play tackle we've seen it already Joe Wall is 6'7 plus easy mover he's a tackle Josh Lug is playing guard now who has literally been a tackle for you and has done a solid job in spurts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think we both agree that he's gonna be better inside just because the lack of length and all that good stuff right But he is a guy that's played tackle. So you have three guys that have literally played offensive tackle. And by the way, Jared Patterson was also a left tackle when he was a true freshman. and He's playing guard now, too. So he should be a pretty good pass protector just from a functionality of having length, having athleticism and having enough strength. And now you move Zeke Correll, who struggled at guard, into center where his lack of length and size overall, even though he's a little heavier now, is going to be be able to mask if we can use that term better at center. So you literally have a bunch of offensive tackle types, which gives me hope that like, this is going to be a good pass blocking team. And honestly in the Oklahoma state game, for the most part, it was pretty well blocked from a pass blocking perspective, especially at offensive tackle. Like it was a lot of good moments. So I think you have the physical tools and the philosophy to be both at, to be good at both areas. But to your point, You got to see it because last time we saw this offensive line, it was not great. But now, with Coach Hesan's philosophy behind the God-given tools that they have, they have every ability to be very good in both areas. They do.
1: You're talking about an Oklahoma State team because that was the one time we've seen Blake Fisher. This is the reason it's important to point out. There's two reasons it's important for Ryan to point that out is because number one, it was the best pass rushing team in the country last year. Yep, and it was the guy that is leading the Ohio State defense all season. Mm-hmm. And you also had. That's the one game we saw Blake Fisher and Joe Walt together. I mean, it was that—that that was the game we saw them together. And they had gave up two sacks for ten games, and they called over seventy pass plays. Like that's the thing is, they called over seventy pass plays, and and only gave up two sacks. And if I remember correctly, Ryan, I believe they were both third down sacks. If I remember, I know the one where Blake got beat. I'm pretty sure that one was third down, and I believe the one that Joe Walt got beat for a sack was third down too. It was and. And they were late sacks. They were nobody's open. Jack's still back there. Nobody's coming free. And in that situation, Jack, hold on to the ball longer because you need to find somebody open because it's third down. I don't care about you taking a sack on third down. You know, I don't. I don't want you to throw it away, or you, know, cause you can't. You're gonna punt anyway. So
2: that 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 Joe Alt sack, like honestly, if I was like doing a stat sheet for the offense, I'd be like, that's a coverage sack. Like I'm not. Exactly. I'm not putting exactly. that one on Joe Alt. You know exactly. what I mean? Like that thing was exactly. just nobody was open. Plays right. over. Like that's just it, it, that's like yep. the one you see in seven on seven where it's just like oh, couldn't find anybody. It's a sack, right? Like right. that's that's kind of what I see in that play. I don't really remember the Blake Fisher one as much, but the Joe it was Alt similar. One, I was similar. It yeah. was
1: similar. The guy beat him wide, and then he was va- eventually able to kind of bend back in and get to Jack late in the mm-hmm. play. Uh, it, it was very similar play uh, yeah. to, to what to what happened uh, with 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 Joe. And, again, you're called over 70 pass plays against a team that had 54 sacks coming into that game and had six sacks in back-to-back games against Baylor and Oklahoma. And then before that had five sacks and a win over Texas Tech. Had seven sacks in a win over TCU, had eight sacks in a win against Kansas. So that's what they did coming into that game. Eight, seven, five, six, and six.
2: That Baylor and, offensive line is really good, too. Yeah. So that's a big indicator. And yep.
1: Oklahoma's always had a really good offensive line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you look at it, Ryan, and, and you say, you know, that's that's kind of where you need to be. Uh, you know, Oklahoma last year gave up 33 sacks. That's a decent amount, but you know, again, six of them came in one game against 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 Oklahoma State. Yep. So we've seen we've seen that potential to be there, and, and I think the the I think your point about them being more natural tackles from a length standpoint is a big part of is a big part of that. Yes. Then it's then it's up the middle. I think that's really a big question for me. Is I think Zeke Carell, beyond the tackles being to their ability is Zeke Carell I think is is really the big question mark for me. Like you know, there's a lot of stuff in the chat about who may or may not be injured. We're, again, we're not going to comment on that until we know for sure. What's going on? It sounds like there might be something to it, whether it's an illness or an injury. There's all types of things floating around. We're not going to dive into the rumor game. But one thing we've talked about before is injuries happen. And you're in a position with the Notre Dame offensive line where you have the depth to have guys step in that have played football before, right? But for me, taking all that aside, center is going to be so important this year. You've moved mm-hmm. Z Correll there. He struggled at guard last year. I thought he played well in his two games at center. And his two games at center were on the road against the top 25 North Carolina team and in the, nas- in the national semifinal against Alabama. And I thought he played well. He had some snaps where he got beat. But I thought he played well overall. I think he's always looked better at center for whatever reason, which is funny because he was a guard in high school. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he's going to get coached now. He's got some more weight on. If Zeke can be what we have been told he has been in the spring and summer and fall camp, that's important because if he's not, if you aren't good up the middle, Ryan, you're going to have a really hard time having a top offense because it, it blows up everything. If you are getting beat up the middle, it's almost impossible to have, with any sort of consistency, it's almost impossible to have a good
2: offense we talked a lot about the philosophy and the physicality that coach He is preaching, Brian, right? At offensive tackle, you can play a little more finesse game, right? Cause it's about getting to the spot and remaining patient and doing all those types of things, you know, backside cutoff on inside zone, like all that type of stuff, which could be a more dictated on your establishing leverage, but not establishing leverage with physicality is having leverage, leverage with foot quickness and length and doing all that type of stuff it is that is not the game inside those guys need to play with extreme physicality two things that i think you got that were big bonuses from the offensive line last year it's kind of a, a a blessing in disguise type of thing one you found out who your bookends are in tackles right like that was the one thing with the injuries Is like you found out that joel can play so like that's great so now you have two guys and the other thing is something that you mentioned you did create depth last year and it mm-hmm. wasn't ideally how you want to get to create the depth, but baptism by fire, man. A lot of guys played football last year. I mean, you're looking at guys like Michael Carmody, who might not even play this year guaranteed, and he started multiple games for Notre Dame last year. Like, you have guys that have played football. So you create a depth, you have a better offensive line coach, you have talent, everything is there for this to be a really good unit, but I agree, it's only going to be as good, because I think most people have an assumption like, the offensive tackles are at least going to be good, right? Well, Will they be dominant? We think they can be, but they're at least going to be good. The inside is the question mark because you have a guy in Jared Patterson who is moving a position. He's playing a brand new spot he's never played before. We have to see what it looks like. You have a guy like a Josh Luck who we have seen a guard a little bit, but the last time we saw him, he was playing offensive tackle, so he's also changing positions. Corral, who who is coming off of a, let's be honest, if he was if if he was a soft-minded individual last year could have killed his confidence. Yes. And actually, like, he could have just checked yeah. out and been like, I can't come back from that. And that's like, that happened to a
1: lot of guys.
2: 100%. A lot 100%. of guys. And credit to Z Correll because a lot of guys could not have come back from what happened to him last year, change positions again, and say, like, I need to play next year. Like, I need to play. Like, I'm too good to keep off the field. That's what he's done so far right. from spring into the fall at this point. We'll see if if he's able to lock everything down, but we assume that, that's how everything is trending right now, barring any setbacks. Right. So you're looking at three guys that are new to their positions for the most part. Well, at least returning to their positions, their original positions, when you see Corral and you're Josh Lugg, and you have a guy that's playing a brand-new position. So there are question marks inside. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think that they will be the big example in this offense line this year of how good of a teacher coach he stand it truly right. is. Because if they're able to play well, that's like another – Add another stamp to Coach he stands resume. Like man, he's just every single time he's got an opportunity, he just flourishes and gets guys to play to their uh, utmost ability. So you need them to at least be a good group that plays with a lot of physicality. I don't necessarily think they need to be a great group because I think you could still have a great group if your offensive tackles are dudes. But if they are just an average group, come on inside, come on yes, inside, yes, okay. inside. Like I think if you if you're both your tackles are really good players and your inside is just good like a good baseline but place physically you can still have a great offensive line right. you can't have the leakage though inside you can't be an average to below average group like they have to be a good group in my opinion for them to be close to right. their potential
1: because I'm trying to think of the different groups that Notre Dame has had and you know it's interesting like they've they've always had they've always had like in a lot of those different units, they've had one spot that wasn't as good. And in most years it was an interior guy. I think that's the one thing that was different about the 2017 team is the 2017 was dominant up the middle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is they were dominant up the middle where they struggled at times is on the perimeter. You know, that's, that's what happened against George. So I'm going Miami. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Joe and loose emoji has told me that, that Joe Moore's philosophy when he was in their name was always figure out tackle first. And then, yes. and then you'll go from there. I don't think that's necessarily changed. And mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on that, you know, but but I think that's still the foundation. But as you said, you don't have to be Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars at guard. I mean, I, that, that was one of the best guard tandems I've seen in a long time, not just at Notre Dame, anywhere. I mean, in 2017, Alex Bars and, and Quentin Nelson were really good. And that's no disrespect to Sam Mustapher, who was a pretty good player in 2017 as well. I'm just talking about the guards, that was a brilliant guard tandem. And a lot of the highlights that year were right behind Quentin Nelson, but there's a lot of highlights that year where, where Alex Bars was the lead blocker. So if you can be dominant up the middle, it certainly helps, mm-hmm. but it, you don't need to be that way. As long as you're battling an assignment correct, that's the key. You can't, like, a tackle can make a mistake and kind of overcome it because of the depth and the distance. Yep. It's harder to do that up the middle. And so they're sure. going to have to be consistent, and that's going to be that's going to be the question mark. So, um, you know, for the rest of the part, we don't address rumors, we don't speak about injuries until we have confirmation from the coaching staff. That is a that should be journalism one hundred and one, in my opinion, uh, especially mm-hmm. with the way that Notre Dame runs things now. So we're not going to address that if we when we get confirmation on something, we'll address it then. And you guys know how we operate. So, you know, to me. Ryan, this group has to. There's look, if there is an injury, don't care. Next man in. That's the expectation. That's what it has to be. And we saw that a little bit in 2018. You know, when Alex Bars went down, the offensive line battled back and kept, you know, did some nice things. They weren't as good, nearly as good as they were the year before, obviously, but they still had leadership. They were still able to do some different things that year. So they're going to have to continue to be that way. There's no excuses. Well, we weren't as good because so and so got hurt. Don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, this is big boy football. Everybody has injuries. Step up and go get it done. That's the big key.
2: And again, you, again, the, the the blessing of disguise is that last year you were able to create depth for yourself, right? Like, I think that you have guys like Andrew Kristofic potentially like a Michael Carmody, potentially, you have a couple guys that can step in and I think can play football for you can, can play at a good level. In my opinion, like I don't think we've seen the best of either one of those guys. And if they have been, attacking the offseason like I think they probably have, then God forbid an injury happened, but you should be able to, with the amount of talent that Notre Dame has in the building, to be able to, to stay afloat, right? Like right. it can't be a, if one person gets injured, this can't be like, oh, we're done. You know, right. like it if one of the tackles gets hurt, Tosh Baker has to come in and play good football. Right. If somebody inside gets hurt, Andrew one of those Christophic, guys, Gustavik, right. Rocco, type whoever, one Carmody, whoever, right. they Carmody, have to come yeah. in. And they have to play good football. It's got to be a thing. Like that's, that's, that's why this, this unit has been so successful is that it's not just, you know, a, a five and that's done, right? Like we've heard multiple times from just recruits this year. It's like coach. hestan is coaching up
0: everybody. Right.
2: right? And, and there's more talent just beyond the starting five. That's why there's been literally an interior kind of position battle, you know, this right. spring and into this, to this fall season, like Andrew Christophe played a bunch of football games and he might end up not starting this year. Right. So You create a depth for yourself. It has to be able to stay afloat if there's an injury. You can't use that as an excuse at this point.
1: Mono Lair made a good point. Said, Brian, I'm a bit behind, but your comments about taking money from the offensive coaches if they score 13, including Harry Easton, are you implying that you're willing to mess with Dylan McCullough? Because that dude is intense. It's a good point. It's a good point. I wouldn't yeah. mess with
2: him. Yeah. it's a good point. Yeah. 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 And he's a yeah. running
1: back. He's an old school running back, you know, from eastern Ohio. Yeah, I don't know hey, if I'm gonna mess with Dealing. It's a good point. He looks like he gets still
2: strapped five hundred pounds on it's his good back point. squat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mess with a good that point. guy. Yeah. I mess.
1: yeah. 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 Jared Parker, he seems like a nice guy. I don't know. You know, chancey stucky, you know, little guy. You know, Tom Reese is a mm-hmm. quarterback. You know, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, Coach e. sand and coach McCullough. I don't think I'm messing with those
2: guys. uh, Which side of the ball gets to claim Brian Mason? Because I don't think I would mess with him either. He's got a lot of energy to him, man. He's scrappy. No, I think he's he's hyper. I would just,
1: like, kind of give him some sugar and then he'd crash, you know, after a while. So, um, I think I'd be okay there. I'd be okay there. Definitely tougher than the last special teams coach. That's for darn sure. (laughs) So, anyway. The shade. shade. uh, Anyway. So, that's going to kind of do it for this part of the breakdown today. Obviously, offensive line is going to be the key. It's going to be the key. This offense cannot – if this team makes a playoff run, the offensive line is going to have to be really good and and relatively consistently really good. So, the, you know, that's, that's kind of where they are. We're, don't go anywhere yet because we are going to go to the mailbag here afterwards. But before we transition to the mailbag, make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. We launched this morning our first edition. John Garcia Jr. and I recorded it last night. It was the first first official podcast in the CFB Nation podcast. You can see it on YouTube, but we also have it on our our our, our CFB Nation, which you can subscribe to. We have the link in, in you know in the um, uh, on Twitter. I sent the, uh, this morning. There's a link to subscribe to the Apple Podcast. is also on Spotify. We're going to continue to you know get it on more and more platforms. But we had our first official one. John broke down the SI ninety nine went in depth on how they do rankings at SI 99 and and what's behind it and how they're different from other outlets. We broke down his number one player, uh, talked about Arch Manning talked about the strengths of the 2019 class or the 2023 class. Uh, some sleeper players. There's a couple guys that that SI 99 has in the top 99 that other people don't even have in the top 200 and kind of talked about those players. So it was a lot of fun. First edition also recorded a a, a a sample show yesterday that we're gonna probably turn into a show with the other hosts that I'm that that we're finishing up. They did a sample show. Uh, we've got some contracts to sign, some graphics to make, but we have another team that we're gonna announce. That I'm super excited about uh, that's gonna be more of a college football show. So you're definitely gonna check that out as well. So that is CFB Nation. You can subscribe on uh, YouTube. You can subscribe on on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. <laughs>